This is The Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Core of the Matter is the public affairs forum of 90.3 The Core, where we talk about issues that are significant to the Rutgers community and to the Central Jersey community. This week, we're talking about the President's Annual Address. Every year, Rutgers University President Richard McCormick addresses the university community. Everyone is invited to attend, students, alumni, faculty, staff, and the citizens of New Jersey. The president talks about issues facing Rutgers, challenges in the year ahead, what future plans are, and what successes the university has had recently. Afterwards, there's a question and answer session. Anyone can ask a question, and traditionally, McCormick stays until all questions are answered. This year, a lot of the talk was about the budget, and many questions were about the quality of the, of the university, and whether higher enrollment would dilute the quality of Rutgers' education. Today in Core of the Matter, we're going to talk about some of these issues raised by the President's annual address. I'm here with Afriye Mankwa. Thank you for having me. And Johnny Gatina. It's good to be here. So let's talk about some of the things at the President's annual address. McCormick mentioned several positive things the university has accomplished over the last year, like winning $430 million for research, most of it from the federal government. He also mentions an article in the Wall Street Journal in which corporate recruiters ranked Rutgers 21st out of American universities they want to hire from. Then he starts talking about complaints he's heard from faculty around the university. But these points of pride were not the only things I heard about in my meetings with faculty and staff in every school. I also heard about severe shortages of resources, the loss of valuable staff, the outstanding graduate students for whom there was inadequate support, the inability to make many of the faculty and TA appointments that were needed, and the shortage of well-equipped classrooms and laboratories. These observations were valid, and if anything, they are even truer today than they were a year ago. Okay, so McCormick mentions a couple of problems he's heard from faculty and staff around the university. He talks about not enough resources for TAs and inadequate resources in, in laboratories and classrooms. So have either of you noticed any problems like that around the university? Uh, yes. In labs, I've noticed that, you know, the um, computer equipment is specifically not up to date in certain labs um, that I've seen. But other than that, you know, um, I'm sure these problems do exist. I just want to know um, from this, you know, 300 and 40 or so million dollars that we received, how much is going towards it? Where is it going? I've witnessed a lot of, I don't want to be too negative. <laughs> so I, I've witnessed a, a lot of discrepancies around campus. Personally, I prefer to study at Alexander Library, which is located on the College Avenue campus. And for a library that's so distinguished here at Rutgers University, it did have it was behind in certain resources like computers. The restrooms weren't up to par. You know, the tables kind of broken. Chairs as well. So, And also, we are lacking printers. So you're saying there aren't enough printers in the library? Nope. I do know that Alexander has added over the last year a lot of outlets so that people can bring in their own computers. Do you think that kind of resource makes up for not having computers at the library? I mean, I understand why they would 
add a whole bunch of values for people that do like to bring their laptops, but there's some, like myself, that would rather use computers there. I don't feel like having to carry a laptop all the way from one campus to another. So, in a sense, yeah, that that was a problem. And, Shauna, have you noticed in your classes around Rutgers over the last couple of years, do the classrooms seem to mostly be up to par? Do you notice, you know, broken chairs or broken lights or anything like that? Um, not specifically. I d- have noticed that um, the buildings themselves, I mean, they are very old. So I guess, you know, apart from the quaint charm of these old buildings, some of them are, you know, falling apart a bit. They need some remodeling, but... Nothing too bad. I don't. I, I've never haven't seen you know panels falling off the ceiling or anything like that. But yeah, it it could use a bit of updating or spiffing up. One of the other things that happened in the address this year was a kind of protest. Now the format of the address is the president talks for about forty minutes. Then after that, there's the question and answer session. Anybody can get up and ask a question, and he stays until all the questions have been answered. They usually joke about it and say, you know, well, one of us professors has to be in class by 6.30, so we'd better be done by then. But usually it only takes like an hour or two for the questions. So instead of waiting for the end, a group of students got up a few times throughout the address and asked McCormick a question. It was kind of hard to hear what they were saying because, of course, they didn't have microphones, and it was a big room. What are What about the students who were brought here What about those who the top of the state? Are you going to help them out more? Why don't you wait until the end? Uh, what happened during the address was when the last student got up and made an outburst, he said if the president wasn't going to listen to them right now, then they weren't going to listen to him either, and they were all going to leave. So he got up and left the room, and then about 30 other students got up, and they were holding what looked like red Rutgers t-shirts up above their heads. So now you'll hear the final outburst of the students who were advocating for in-state tuition for undocumented students during the president's address. The steps we are now taking, and others like them, will serve Rutgers well in the future. We hold in our hands Rutgers' destiny as a university, and we bear responsibility for its future. You hold in your hands the destiny of thousands of people who came here who deserve an education. We want to know, as a yes or no answer, will you support this situation for them? We cannot wait until the end. This is a pressing issue. At this point, the student who is speaking has turned and left and about 30 students who are sitting behind him in the student section in the Rutgers Student Center multipurpose room have also gotten up, and they're holding what look like red Rutgers t-shirts up in the air, and they all silently leave the room to some applause from the crowd. I hope you'll come back so I'll have an opportunity to answer your questions after my speech. And fortunately, one of the students stayed until the end and then asked his question, which was about getting in-state tuition for undocumented students. If students are undocumented, then they can't get in-state tuition even if they've lived in New Jersey all their lives. Hi, President McCormick. My name is uh, Ernesto Guevara, and I'm here on behalf of every student who has ever um, been disenfranchised, every student who has not been able to attend school because of financial reasons, because of... Um, 
this creation of an underclass of citizens because of this cre- because of um, the the mere uh, ignoring of the university of, of of these students' rights and 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 of its goal, as you stated many times in your in your speech, to educate because because education is a privilege. I mean, is is a is a right, not a privilege. Um, so my question, as you heard many other people ask, um, is. Will you take a moral stance, not, not beating around the bush or, or um, any politicking? Will you take a moral stance right here, right now, in front of all these people on the record in support of your constituents and your students and all of those people who are not able to attend school? Will you take a moral stance to support um, a Rutgers in-state tuition here at, at this university uh, in Newark, in Camden, at Rutgers University as a whole? Will you take a moral stance right now? Not later, right now. Rutgers shares the goal of assuring that all who can benefit from a Rutgers degree have the opportunity to do so. Assuring that they can in today's environment is is complicated and requires a multi-pronged strategy of the kind I described today. I believe you're specifically referring to undocumented students who may not currently have access to a Rutgers education at uh, at in-state tuition rates. We we would like to respond to their problems, but it's not within our power um, nor within the purview of any moral commitment I might make. And I don't want to mislead you by trying to make one. I'm still answering your question. Uh, to solve that problem. It will, have to be requ- it will have to be solved in the context of uh, the government of New Jersey and of the nation. The DREAM Act has been advanced by President Obama. We support its goals. We'll join with you in advancing its passage, just as we will related legislation in New Jersey. But, but uh, it would be misleading for you and everyone here for me to make a spurious moral commitment suggesting that Rutgers can achieve alone what it can't. We share the goals now we've got to work to achieve them. I was asking, will you as a person take a moral stance? Not, not, not the university. I'm, you as a person yeah, take I'm, a, I'm, a moral I'm, stance right I'm, here, right now, yeah, to it, support it your constituents. Be, it, must be obvious to, it must be obvious to you that I'm standing here as the president of Rutgers, whose moral commitment to diversity and opportunity over 247 years cannot be doubted by anyone in the room. As president of the university, yes I share no. it and I advance it. Yes or no? I've done it done my best to answer your question. Yes, so question and answer it, please. Let's please, work please let somebody else. Please let somebody else speak. So, what do you think about, let's talk about both the issue and how this group of students chose to express themselves. Do you think that in-state, that undocumented students who live in New Jersey should be able to get in-state tuition? From both sides, I can understand why some people feel that they should, and I can also understand why people feel that they shouldn't. Personally, I'm not sure if they should because they are undocumented and there's no proof to state whether or not there actually are in-state students, whether or not they are residents of New Jersey. And you just don't want to offer the same amount of, offer the same tuition that people who are documented, that there is proof that we live in New Jersey. I'm speaking because I live here. And I don't know if that's necessarily fair, but I can also understand why they would feel that the need that they should be charged the same amount. Um, simply put, I think that if their parents, even though they're undocumented, have been paying New Jersey taxes for, you know, over a year, which is, I think, the period of time that you need to live in a state before you can receive 
in-state tuition. If they have been paying in-state taxes, then I think they should get in-state tuition. It's as simple as that for me personally. And if they haven't ever paid, you know, Jersey taxes, then they shouldn't get in-state tuition. And so what do you think about the way the students chose to express themselves, this particular group? Because um, later we'll listen to the student who stayed and the answer that Dr. McCormick gave him, but a lot of people wanted to ask questions about issues that they think are important at the university, and they all had to wait until the end. And I feel like this group of students could have made just as big of an impression by asking their question at the end, and then if they were unsatisfied, you know, doing their walkout then, rather than interrupting the address when, at one point, the professor who is the um, the chair of the meeting, the president's address takes place at a university senate meeting. So there's a professor from the engineering department, uh, Professor Paniotados, and he, so he was the chairman of the meeting. He said that, you know, why to these students, why are you trying to alienate the body that supports your cause? Because they were all pretty much in favor of what these students were saying. They just didn't like how they were going about it. But you could say that maybe they're trying to make, you know, make an impression or something. So what do you think about how they express themselves? Uh, again, I didn't hear the question, so I couldn't judge at first whether or not it was appropriate for them to just walk out. But I do feel that they just stormed out for a dramatic effect. I feel that they could have shown a little bit more class, waited like everybody else, had a little bit more respect for President McCormick and the university itself because people were listening to what he had to say. No matter what, no matter how you feel about his points, it would have been it would have been nice if you just waited. They should have waited. They should have waited till the, towards the end. I can't just. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think it's admirable that they tried, you know, um, to make a stand for their point. But I don't think it's, you know, appropriate to hijack a meeting like this when everyone is on the same page and waited till the end. And it turned out that one of the students who, who made an outburst in the middle of the speech was a member of RUSA. And he is also a member of the Latino Students Organization, which was organizing this, I guess you could call it a protest. And another member of RUSA said that he should resign because they, they felt that it was inappropriate for a member of RUSA to behave this way. And the, gen the gentleman who had made the outburst said that, you know, he wasn't acting as a member of RUSA. At that meeting, he was acting as a member of this other organization that he was with. So... I don't know, do you think it was inappropriate of him as a member of RUSA, or do you think it was okay since he was acting with a different group? <laughs> it wasn't okay, period. Whether or not you're representing RUSA or the Latin American Student Organization, that, that was it. No matter what, you're representing your organization. I hope he's not on an executive board, because that wouldn't show the best image for them. You have to represent not only yourself, but the organization, so you should have thought about others. Yeah, if you're if you're representing any sort of organization, what you do, you know, publicly does affect your seat on that organization because no matter if you're speaking on behalf of the organization, you're still associated with it. So yes. I think, you know, it is appropriate for him to possibly resign, but then again, you know, neither I of us know are. if it's if he should resign. I don't I think his actions should be dealt with, but not that harshly. Yeah. I feel that he wasn't in his I don't want to say in his right mind, but I feel that he sort of got carried away. It was exaggerated. 
um, they should discuss it with him, share their concerns, make him realize why what he did was wrong, and hopefully he realized at the end. And I mean, part of the tradition of student protest is that it is necessarily inconvenient and kind of rude. In the in the 70s at Rutgers, students were protesting things would take over the president's office, and they would all storm into his office and then sit there and, like, you know, sit there and protest in his office. And actually, I spoke to an alumnus of Livingston, because Livingston students used to be very politically active, and he said that, I guess the president at the time was Mason Gross, and he'd kind of gotten used to students, like, taking over his office, and so one time when they did it, he said he only had two conditions, and I forget what the first one was, but the second one was essentially that they'd not make any long-distance phone calls while they were in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, that they, they got used to that form of protest after a while, so, I mean, student protest isn't necessarily going to be kind of, you know, inconvenient or loud or rude or something. Maybe they should have attempted a sit-in until the end of the meeting and then ask their questions. And maybe their protests could be more effective if they should just show common courtesy. This is The Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Today on The Core of the Matter, we're discussing issues raised by the Rutgers President's Annual Address. I'm speaking with Afriye Amankwa and Jana Gatina, both Rutgers students. So President McCormick spoke about non-traditional students and how bringing students who are, say, older or returning to school or are returning veterans adds to the richness of the university experience. He also kind of slips something in there where he says that perhaps schools or majors where graduates are expected to earn more should have higher tuition. The makeup of our student body is also changing in response to demands and expectations. On all our campuses, business education remains very popular, as do engineering and pharmacy in New Brunswick. Where student demand is growing, and where the anticipated personal income of our graduates is also high, we will increasingly see differentially higher tuition rates. In this way, Rutgers will meet the needs of students while helping the university's bottom line. The student diversity we seek also includes men and women whose situations in life are different from those of most college students. Just as in the case of -of out-of-state and international students, the presence of these non-traditional students improves everyone's education because they bring tremendous motivation, perspective, and experience to our campuses. They also add to the financial resources that are available to all of our programs. For decades, Rutgers has welcomed and educated thousands of non-traditional students. But today, more of these men and women than ever want and need our programs. People who are unemployed or underemployed in this economy. Those who might not have formerly required a baccalaureate degree for their careers, but now do. Those whose family situations demand that they become breadwinners. Those returning from military service of whom we have proudly welcomed more than 500 this year, and those who are living longer than ever after retirement. I have asked a group of faculty and deans to recommend, develop recommendations providing more Rutgers options for non-traditional students. Some of these options would be available on our campuses. Others would involve completing Rutgers degrees at off-campus sites, 
Still others would involve a mix of on-campus and online experiences. So that seems like a pretty important point that was kind of slid in there in the middle of all those other things. What do you think about the idea of charging higher tuition for students who are expected to earn more after they graduate? I don't know if he realized how insensitive his last part was, that last speech. I feel that it isn't fair for them to be charged higher. Either way, they are Rutgers University students. It should, on, it should only be based on in-state and out-of-state tuitions, uh, people who live in New Jersey versus people who don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a terrible idea outright, you know. Um, if he's saying that majors that are going to foreseeably earn more money should be charged more, then conversely, majors that, you know, don't, um, aren't expected to make more money should pay less than, like, should English majors who, you know, upon graduation, I'm sure, you know, not everyone assumes they're going to make tons of money straight out of college. Should they pay less money than in tuition? I don't know. That's just my way of looking at it. You can't just charge more, you know, for pharmacy majors just because they will make more. First of all, that's going to, you know, drop levels of pharmacy enrollment right away. And I don't think that's what the university wants to do right now, considering it's research-based. I wish he would have asked himself before giving the speech what sense would it make to charge people based on, you know, just who graduated their majors, etc. Another thing that he talks about is the aesthetics of the university, about um, how the university looks physically and how that affects what people think about it, what kind of students we attract, and, you know, what kind of reputation the university has. And actually, a student asked a question at the end of the address about what what was what what was the president going to do to make the university look better to people who were visiting or to prospective students. Hello, President McCormick. My name is Josh David. I'm a student center from the School of Arts and Sciences, New Brunswick. Um, I'm very proud of the education I've received thus far at Rutgers, and I'm proud of all the accomplishments of the faculty and students here. One thing that has been bothering me, though, is. Um, uh, certain campus aesthetics and facilities, um, <laughs> such as you know, seeing patches of dirt on you know Voorhees Mall, which we should be proud of, and you know, I am I'm def- very grateful for you know renovating the steps over on College Ave and you know projects for pr- planting flowers. But I think an important thing we should be focusing on, um, especially for visitors coming to Rutgers, is our campus a- aesthetics, um, and I feel like you know I definitely appreciate the work that facilities has been doing, um, and I. You know, I have seen that a lot with the flowers and the stairs and all that, but I think there's so much more to be done. And I know in this economic climate, it is very difficult to do that. I recognize that, but I think in order to attract the brightest <coughs> students uh, throughout New Jersey, and especially the out-of-state students, have many more options. I think that's something that we should be focusing on, and I want to know what steps you'd be willing to take um, in that regard. I think you're absolutely right. Um, some people say that, uh, you know, beautifying the campus is something you take care of after all the other needs have been met. The buses are uh, sufficiently numerous and disabled students are cared for and the scholarship support. For, but I, I, don't, I don't agree. I think it's a very high uh, priority for the university, in part for the reason you said. It affects whom we attract. The decision that students and faculty make about whether to come here, you know, for right or wrong, depends in large part on how we look. And the, uh, the shabbiness of some parts of our campus is, uh, is a shame, and it is a deterrent to our being the great university we can. So over the past few years, we've made big-time investments in the beautification of the Livingston campus. Rutgers' formerly forgotten Livingston campus now looks really spiffy 
and it's going to look even better in the in the years ahead. Um, over the past summer, we replaced a, a god awful oh, that's that's an academic expression uh, uh, a bus stop in front of the uh, barn out here, and uh, another one will be replaced uh, by the grease trucks, uh, and still another one on George Street in the in the ne- within the next twelve months. Those are just some examples of investments we're making in the beauty of the place. I don't think it's superficial or spurious or irrelevant to our academic goals. I think it's just as important as you do. Okay, thank you. Okay, so the first thing I want to ask you about is the new bus stop on College Avenue in front of the College Avenue gym. If you don't know, the College Avenue gym is also called the barn. So the old bus stop was kind of, you know, falling down. You could see bits of it peeling off the top and stuff. And there's this new bus stop. It's kind of interesting looking. I'd like to know what your opinion is of how the bus stop looks, whether it's an improvement over the old one. Well, it is an improvement. They did change it, but really shabby McCormick. I felt that all of this is relevant to our purpose here at Rutgers University. Our purpose shouldn't be... It is. It does play a part how the university looks, but I thought that he was settling this by the visitor center, which is now in Bush Campus. And he did fix Livingston. It looks great. But to the point where I felt he's emphasizing more the appearance of the campus rather than our academic goals, the pursuit to a higher education, to find better jobs, higher learning, he should have addressed that more in the question. Um, I mean, in terms of attracting students, the visitor center, I mean, I think it's insufficient because for most students, College Ave is like the hub. It's the center. So I think that if... It is taken care of, and they're, they are doing, you know, certain steps. But I think that, you know, in terms of attracting a better student body, that would be the course of action is to beautify College Ave. I don't know what that means or what it could possibly look like, but I think that's the first step in terms of beautification. But if the first step is to, quote-unquote, beautify the College Avenue campus, then what is the purpose of having the visitor campus on Bush campus? Um. I, I, the visitor center, excuse me. I mean, I don't know because the visitor center didn't exist when I was um, an incoming freshman. So for me, it doesn't, you know, matter. I guess if I'm to think of it outside of myself, if I were to see Bush, the the visitor center, that I would only care if I would be living on Bush because it's a part of that campus. But if I was, you know, arts and sciences student, you know, living on College Ave., that's what would matter to me since most of my classes would be there. I think part of the idea of, of the visitor center was to provide a like a centralized location that things like tours could start from. So people would all go to the visitor center where there is parking for them, which is another problem with having it on College Avenue. But I don't know. What do you think of how the outside of the visitor center looks like? Because, I mean, for you've mentioned that the inside is quite nice, but... I don't know, the outside looks kind of, to me, it looks like a giant roadside hot dog stand. It just doesn't look like a nice building from the outside. What do you think of how it looks when you approach it? Like, what what impression do you think that has on visitors? I actually think, I think it's nice. You know, the lawn is carefully mowed. They have nice landscaping. I really paid more attention to the inside than the outside, but from the outside, it wasn't bad at all. I mean, it's pretty nondescript. Riding by in the bus, you know, you just notice it's a shiny building. But if they really wanted to make, you know, make it an attraction, I think it should be, it should have been made in in a more modern, I guess, classically modern way, like 
something that's ageless and won't look outdated as many of our buildings start to look since they were built in the 70s. You know, at the time, I'm sure these look like modern buildings, but now they're not. So who knows what the visitor center, this marvelous visitor center, is going to look like to the people in 20 years or 30 years. Well, with respect to how the buildings look on campus, I mean, there's a we have buildings that were built in, like, you know, the early 1900s and buildings that were built a few years ago. Which buildings on campus do you think, you know, have stood up to the test of time that still look, you know, really nice at Rutgers today? That's a trick question. (laughs) (laughs) I think Brower needs definitely to be fixed. Because that's straight out of the 70s. There's no mistaking it. It's just too plainer and boring. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the, the ivy-covered buildings on College Ave in, um, I guess, what, what is it called? That Voorhees, Voorhees Mall. I like those because they're very historic. They, you know, you just think of collegiate life when you see those buildings. Those, I think, are great historic, um, you know, relics, and they should be re- uh, preserved, I guess. And is it the Eagleton Institute or, yeah, that building is timeless. It's still fabulous. I'm sure it was when they first built it. Yeah, it's over on Douglas. I think that was actually the, like, the family's mansion was that. So it, it, it's a nice building. So do you think all the improvements they've made on Livingston, like they dug up the walkway that goes from the student center to, like, Tillett Circle, and they redid Tillett Circle, and they gave it that nice water feature, and they redid the student center. And then a few years ago, they put in the new road that goes from Bush to Livingston. It used to actually go, it used to be maybe a few hundred feet to one side of that. So they built a new road that's, like, straight. And they added lots of trees and those light poles with the rector's flags on them. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of how these improvements have affected Livingston? Do you think, you know, do you think Livingston is spiffy now? A lot more than it was before. <laughs> <laughs> it still could use a few changes here or there. Um, I'd like to see Kilmer have a few changes on the inside. What else? Tillett, of course. They had to do something oh, yeah. with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, if you look behind the student center, they're building something big back there, kind of between the student center and between the Kilmer Library, and that is going to be the Livingston Dining Commons, which it's, it's, not, a very, uh, it's not a very spiffy name. But that is supposed to be a new dining hall. I think it's supposed to open in 2012, but they're making a lot of progress on it. And I'm pretty sure the plan after that is to turn Tillet into classrooms, which I feel like it'll be weird. I mean, will you will you sense the ghost of, like, dining students when you're <laughs> in a Tillet classroom? <sighs> but is there anything else that you think they should do to Livingston? I mean, do you think the student center is uh, is, like, adequate? Yeah, I think it's um, it's very adequate now that there's the Rutgers zone in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just there are a lot more um, like centralized activities for students now. And the fountain, I've noticed a lot of people hanging out, out there when it's nice and sitting on the benches around it. And same goes for Rutgers zone. So I think those are, you know, good steps towards making freshmen, which are, you know, the majority of the people living here, I guess, comfortable and happy. And I haven't seen so many students be actually excited and bonding here at the Livingston Student Center as, uh, compared to everywhere else, uh, Bush Campus Center, Douglas. They're not really, it doesn't have the impact like the new student center here does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was some question when the student center was being constructed because there used to be a pretty vibrant community of students on Livingston who would 
you know, there were a lot of activities in the student center. A lot of student groups would do things. I mean, the radio stations here and Livingston Theater Company and, you know, there were other groups that would do things around here and there was a lot of activity. Then during the construction, it was like a ghost town. And there was some question as to whether people would start doing things around Livingston again and, you know, being active and getting together. So do you think there's as much activity now on Livingston as there is on other campuses? Do you think the student center is like a, a, as attractive a place to hang out as the other student centers, like the Rector Student Center and Bush Campus Center? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Real Big Fish played earlier, and I saw, you know, a small gra- crowd gathering, but um, I think activities are definitely back here. Real Big Fish was here. Yeah, in the student the, center. That's, imp- that's the answer. <laughs> so, yeah, we. I definitely, I mean... Even at the station, um, you know, events at the Rutgers Zone, there are things happening that I don't think happen at other student centers. And so many people watch sporting games here, such as Monday Night Football. Yeah, yeah. You know, with the new brownie ice cream that they have at the <laughs> Rutgers Zone. So Livingston's doing a lot of improvements. This is The Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Today on The Core of the Matter, we're talking about... Issues raised by the Rutgers President's Annual Address. I'm speaking with Jeanne Gatina and Afriye Mankwa, both Rutgers students. And one of the questions asked by a university senator, a student senator, after the address had to do with the increase in enrollment that Rutgers has experienced. We have 2,000 more students over the past two years than the universities had previously and this is causing some problems. Hello, Mr. President. Uh, my name is Stephen Lee. I'm a senator of the School of um, Environmental and Biological Sciences. Uh, my question comes about enrollment and, and admissions. Um, I am glad that you finally acknowledge that we cannot enroll our way out of the budget problems of today. Um, with increasing enrollments for the past two years, we have seen the increase of numbers of students at this university by 2,000. If we keep on going on that trend, we will see a scarcity of resources such as housing and transportation, which obviously Rutgers would have to respond by investing in more projects, which would increase costs to this university. So my question to you is that in the near future, Will Rutgers finally see a cap on enrollment and not see the current trend of increasing enrollments by 1,000 students per year? Okay, that's a, that's a smart question, and it's directly related to some of the things I talked about. We're not looking for a hard cap on enrollment, although we do recognize, as I've said, we can enroll our way out of this crisis. It, it's, a, it's a strategic answer of the kind I gave in several other categories. We're looking to target enrollment increases with respect to certain disciplines and certain categories of students, and that probably means that other categories and other disciplines will decline in their enrollment. We're not looking for an ever-expanding student body of 2,000 a year. that We haven't the ability to accommodate it. On the other hand, we are taking some really important steps to accommodate the growth of enrollment, perhaps none more important than the construction of uh, 500 new beds in our new residence halls on the Bush campus and 1,500 on the Livingston campus so that the, the uh, overcrowding in the dorms that we've experienced for the last several years will not, will not be continued. We also know that we're going to have to invest more in our bus transportation system. But I think, uh, you know, a hard cap... Um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense when we have opportunities, including opportunities, to bring in students who will not only further diversify Rutgers, but further improve its bottom line. And that's, that's a key strategy going forward. All right. Thank you very much.
Okay, so in that quote, the student is asking, if we keep enrolling more students, then we're going to need more housing, and we're going to need more buses and more parking, and so we'll need more money, so we'll have to get more students, and it's kind of unsustainable. So he's asking whether there should be a cap on enrollment, like this many students at Rutgers, no more. And then McCormick says that we're not going to have a cap, but we can't keep growing the way we have been. And he he kind of says, in a way that's a little hard to pick up, that we want to attract more students who are going to be paying more. So maybe a few more out-of-state students, which would necessarily mean fewer in-state students who obviously pay less. And also that we'll need to invest more money in buses, which is, I mean, the, I believe the Rutgers Transportation System, that department pays for itself, which means they have to raise all the money their department uses, which means if they're going to do something, they're somehow going to have to end up charging students more, like students and faculty and staff. So do you think, what do you think about the growth of the number of students on campus? I mean, does it seem more crowded to you? Like, is it harder to get to classes? Are your classes more crowded? As a matter of fact, I was just thinking about that today. It's very difficult to get from campus to campus. I know my schedule, I have to move around a lot. And on every single bus, it's crowded. Even if I'm lucky because I'm little to manage to actually stand on a bus, it's very difficult. It's always, even the extended ones, the ones with two cars. Yeah, it's always crowded. So there's definitely a problem. Um, I think, you know, Rutgers is trying to be a cash cow, and by that I mean they do want more students because I feel like they think that a certain amount of these will drop out anyway, so that will resolve some of the overcrowding, and they get as much money from them, especially if they're out of state, as possible. And I think that is a huge problem because, like, you know, Free said, there's a lot of overcrowding on buses, and it does become difficult since a lot of bus lines were cut this year, especially, I've noticed, and um, certain buses now have to go through two campuses. It's just, um, I think that that problem should be resolved, but, you know, it's one of bureaucracy. You can't really get around how much money the university wants to make off of more students. I think President McCormick is taking our intelligence for granted because if we really think about it, more students equals more money. No matter what, the more students come in, the more not only are they going to have to pay, but the more we're going to have to pay for resources. So... I think it was just implicitly saying that we want more money. <laughs> he also mentioned new dorms that are being built. There's one on Bush that's going to house 500 students, and there's one they're building on Livingston right now that's kind of catty-corner from the rack and across from the University Press, which is those, those trailer buildings on Joyce Kilmer Avenue next to the Student Center. And that's going to be apartments, and it's going to house 1,500 students. Now, since it's apartments, we can assume that it'll be upperclassmen living there. So do you think having 1,500 more students living on Livingston will affect the resources of the campus in any way? Um, I think it's a terrible idea, and especially if it's geared towards upperclassmen. I don't know that many upperclassmen that, A, would want to live on Livingston, because all of the social activities and anything you're going to do as an upperclassman off campus... Um, is usually on College Ave. I don't know how many people, especially without cars, are going to want to be on Livingston as upperclassmen. I agree. Like, one of the issues is cars, because there are, I mean, there are a lot of apartments on Bush, 
And that is, that's where you go to live if you want to live in a nice, quiet place. Maybe you, maybe you go to visit College Avenue once or twice a week, but you live on Bush so that it's quiet and you don't have to worry about, you know, loud parties or, you know, people being raucous while you're trying to study. However, there's, there's a relatively ample amount of parking on Bush for those apartments. And like you said, upperclassmen are going to want to have cars. And right now, Livingston is full of parking lots, but as they build more and more buildings, I don't know if, like, I mean, it seems like Livingston will run into the same problems as the other campuses in terms of where is everyone going to park. So if you were if you were offered the option of being an upperclassman, living on Livingston, and, say, not having a car, do you think you would go for that? Not at all. No, unless they build some sort of megalithic garage. <laughs> a parking lot or something. And actually, someone did ask the director of parking services recently whether he would consider building a parking deck. And what he said was, if they built a parking deck, he would essentially have to charge students for it by either cutting bus service or raising parking fees, because that's how like parking services has to pay for itself. Mm -hmm. So he said he did not want to build a parking deck. Their, their idea is to just try to discourage people from bringing cars to campus. So do you think, and McCormick said, we're going to have to spend more money on buses. What do you think would be a, like, what do you think would be a good solution to this problem with parking and buses and not enough buses and not enough parking and trying to keep students, trying to get students to leave their cars at home? Do you think there's any kind of, what kind of resolution do you see happening to that? This is a very sticky situation because if you cut off buses, that's not a good thing at all. There are people who may not have cars, who need to travel to be able to get to wherever they're going. And at the same time, for people who would be living in this new dormitory on Livingston campus, they would need a parking deck. So, yeah, that's a bit tricky for me. I mean, I don't know. I think Rutgers is doing a lot of things backwards because if you're going to cut a lot of the public transportation and not want people to have cars. I just don't understand um, what they're what, what they're going for because you can't really cut public transportation and cut buses because that's that's just I mean even if you have a car you're you're not going to go from campus to campus for class to class. It just doesn't make sense to me for for them to do that. They're going to have to figure out some sort of way to cost effectively keep buses and maybe build parking decks. I don't, I don't know. But either way, that'd be more on everybody else. Higher tuition. So what would you think if, let's say, you were an upperclassman, you were living on Livingston, but the bus service was, and you were not allowed to, say, have a car on campus, but the bus service was tremendously increased so that it was really easy to get to any campus. Do you think that would have an effect on your, on how much you would want to live on Livingston in that case? Like, as an upperclassman, is not having a car a deal-breaker? I live in the suite, so it, having a car is not a big issue. I don't on campus. Um, I prefer the buses, but that's because for some reason on Bush campus, there are a lot more buses on ev compared to everywhere else. Um, we have the A, the H, and they both serve both locations. They both are relatively fast. We also have the B if you're heading to Livingston. Livingston's like two minutes away. So... In my situation, it's not bad. If I were to live on Livingston and the buses were faster um, and obviously more 
that wouldn't be such an issue for me. As yeah, that wouldn't be that, that wouldn't be a problem. Um, I guess I'm spoiled <laughs> or something because I live on a house off campus on College Ave. I don't. There's no incentive for me to a live on Livingston as an upperclassman, or b even if I were without a car, absolutely not. So that's an issue they would have to resolve because I mean I think that I have you know an average mindset when it comes to this. If you're not, if I'm not going to have a place for my car and the buses are cut. There's no incentive to live on Livingston for as an upperclassman. Period. But there'd be a, in the question a lot more buses, and at this time, hopefully, Livingston would be much more improved than it is now. I mean, so. they can't have Rutgers-sponsored upperclassman activities, if you, <laughs> you know what I mean. So I don't know if that's part of the incentive. I mean, if they would have some more catered activities for upperclassmen, but I don't think they will. So you don't think there are a lot of, like Rutgers offers a lot of activities right now that are meant to attract upperclassmen? It's mostly for newer students? Yes, I think so. Well, I think maybe that's because as upperclassmen, we're used to to the same scene. We've been there, done that. But um, some people may still find it entertaining. Some people may still have that Rutgers feel, that whole Scarlet Night, school spirit, all that. Not not 1,500. (laughs) No, nowhere near. We will have to see what happens with that, uh, with the new housing they're building and with the other things that were discussed in the President's address. You're listening to The Core of the Matter. This week, we've been talking about issues raised by the Rutgers President's annual address, and we've been speaking with Afriye Amankwa and Jana Gatina, both Rutgers students. And in future episodes of The Core of the Matter, we will continue to discuss issues raised by the President's address. If you've got an opinion, you can share it by emailing news at thecore.fm. If you have any questions about Core of the Matter or you'd like to suggest a future topic, why you can also email news at thecore.fm. You can tune into Core of the Matter next week at 7 p.m. right here on 90.3 The Core and hear a discussion about hospice care in New Jersey. Hospices are places where people who are terminally ill are taken care of in as comfortable and pleasant a way as possible, and we'll speak to a couple of hospice workers. You've been listening to Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Stay tuned. More great Core Radio is on the way. You've been listening to The Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core. Opinions expressed on the core of the matter are those of the participants only, and not necessarily those of WVPH-FM or Rutgers University.